Cool, blimey, mate. That was a fucking boring race. Welcome to Shift F4, the podcast about speedy race cars. I, I cannot stop at going into Australian, Rob. I lived in London, in East London for five years. What is wrong with me? I think the, the Australian accent exerts like a gravitational pull on <laughs> different versions of like Anglophone accents. And you just end up like you just end up at that extreme. Yeah, faster than usual, maybe, but we all end up there in the end. Um, hello and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am your host uh, for this week, uh, Danny O'Dwyer. Drew is on assignment. He was unable to join us today, which was one of two things which have led to this rather truncated episode. We've had perhaps our longest episodes ever in the past few weeks as we, as we've gotten... You know, we sort of uh, limbered up and got used to stretching out the the morsels of news we got during the uh, the break, and then once the races came, <laughs> we we sort of uh, uh, I don't know, we 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 went into every last detail on the races in that same enthusiastic way. Um, perhaps it is good that this race was such a snore fest because we're at, we're recording this pretty quickly, um, earlier than usual, so we didn't have as much time to to do our notes that we do every morning uh, before the race. Uh, and there was the reason for that is because Rob is uh, going to be doing a Jodie Foster impression in a few hours' time, or like an hour's time. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's about forty five minutes from now. Apparently, we're going to start getting hit by the. Uh one of the bands of this tropical storm and from my little pocket of massachusetts we've gotten warnings that like it could get pretty real around here so that's cool okay uh so first of all um i wish you the best <laughs> i'm sorry that this is happening i lived in at this time like six months ago i was in maryland and similar kind of thing where the carolinas you know florida would get all these the carolinas would get a lick of them usually pretty bad maybe south carolina north carolina eases off and then sometimes it would drift into maryland and when it did it was always a little bit dissipated but it sucked but it looks like what's i was i saw new york an hour ago it looks looks pretty bad so um i wish you the best uh uh, and thank you for giving me the heads up so we could at least get a podcast out because nobody wants we did there have been times where there have been solo Danny episodes of Shift F one back in back in the two thousand sixteens. But uh That's rough. So soloing that, a Formula One podcast would be tough. Like yeah, rough, reacting rough to the, the things you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to do like a sort of a uh, internal like a Schmeagle Gollum situation where I'd uh, say something and then react to it. But thankfully we're not we're not there. Um, but like I said, we have a pretty boring race to talk about. So perhaps uh, this will match up. Um, shall we get into... Let's just jump right into the race. So uh, no massive takeaways from practice that I uh, have off the top of my head. There was uh, you know, issues with uh, stickiness with some of the... Uh, Ferrari seemed squiggly again. A couple of folks went off nothing crazy and then when it came to qualification um it was similar to what we've seen for uh the rest of the sort of weird truncated season we've had uh, hamilton got pulled by quite a margin um uh, actually it was about a tenth of a second in the oh no that's his uh, that's his first sector time let me zoom this out and get his full one i remember at the time him being basically bursting the track um uh what do you call it the track uh speed uh yeah fuck my words what are they gone track what's it called track record uh, Re- record yeah. yeah he broke the record twice um actually don't have the full one i only have sector times here but anyway to, to whatever 
degree. Uh, he ended up in first, Valtteri Bottas in second, Max Verstappen claimed third, Charles Leclerc in fourth, a lot better than Ferrari were, I think, talking about coming into this weekend, himself and Vettel in the pre-race interviews were... Uh, not optimistic, to say the least. Uh, Lando Norris doing a great job on Saturday, getting fifth position. Lance Stroll in the pink Mercedes, as we've come to call it, uh, in sixth position. Carlos Sainz uh, splitting uh, the two McLarens uh, with Carlos Sainz in seventh. Danny Ricciardo in eighth. Esteban Ocon in ninth. That's actually pretty good for Renault. They'd probably be pretty happy with that, um, uh, considering how their quality pace has been like this year. Uh, Vettel in a very disappointing tenth position. And then we enter uh, the, the rest of the field outside of the top 10. Pierre Gasly in 11th. Decent weekend start for him. Alex, Alexander Albon in 12th. Uh, he had a poor time in practice as well. Obviously coming off a bunch of races where he's not, you know, the Hamilton incident in Austria, sort of the, 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 the domino that's kind of had him on a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a black spot, but he's definitely like, suffering a bit um i think Nico we can safely say he's tilted yeah yeah maybe i don't i just don't want to say it because then it's like manifesting <laughs> i want to think it's all it's all good uh nico hulkenberg who yeah shock horror sergio perez has coronavirus probably should have mentioned that at the top um so he's uh there was a little bit of back and forth over who would take his um seat in the racing point for the next couple of races and uh, Hulkenberg who is familiar with the with the power unit and the team um, was brought in did a decent job in 13th position uh, Danny Kvyat in 14th Georgie Russell man that guy knows how to get into Q2 in that Williams uh, he's in 15th um, and then just a nightmarish uh, result for the Haas's K-Mag in 16th Giovinazzi 17th Kimi 18th Rogro in 19th uh, with Nicholas Latifi suffering the most in last position. Did you see any of the pre-weekend uh, interviews with any any of the teams? No. So there was an interesting uh, energy in the Haas one. Yeah. Where, yeah, Grosjean is kind of coming across as if he's <laughs> he he's 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 talking like somebody who knows that they are not going to be around next season. Like he's kind of like down on the car. Not particularly optimistic about the weekend coming into it. And Magnussen was getting like visibly irritated by just kind of how uh, pessimistic, I would say, Grosjean was being. Um, which I think you see often in like micro doses, but this this felt like Grosjean is kind of maybe past it a bit and, and Magnussen was just not particularly chuffed. I can... Yeah, that that is interesting. Between him and basic, like the sort of the fatalism he had around Gene Haas's commitment to staying in the sport, uh, right? And then, like, I based on what we've seen, it like Drive to Survive, right? I could just see being done with that team in some ways. If you're Groshan, um, it just seems like a it, an exhausting environment. Do you think Haas will be around? Because thinking about what's happened this year and, and, and the new regs getting pushed back and just the the momentum and the, the way they're going, I, I would not be surprised if if he if he sold the team to someone. Yeah, I'm not optimistic. Um, I saw 
I saw Gunther Steiner talking about how he was kind of relieved that they didn't do the flyaway races this year because um, it's such a expensive prospect. And it's like if there's right. no money in it, uh, then we don't have to deal with it. Uh, which you just don't often see teams uh, sort of hand ring over the expense of getting to the flyaways. Uh, yeah, I think the it's it's tough because I think. In some ways, I could see there being a psychology of everyone wanting to stick out one more year to show that, like, COVID didn't drive them out of business. You know what I mean? Like, just leave yeah. on a better note than that. And it certainly does become an easier prospect, maybe, to stay in since the regs got frozen. And so, effectively, we're going to re-rack and do this again next year. Uh, so, a lot of... Like, that is less of a stretch uh, than it would be. At the same time, like, if you're Haas, I, I don't know why you stay in for another year of this. Your car is bad. Um, although this year, this year their car is bad, but also, like, those Ferrari engines, man. Like, yeah. It just, tra- like, whatever improvements they might have made uh, almost certainly just got completely dashed uh, by the fact that the Ferrari engine is so down on power uh, at this point. But yeah, I would probably be looking to exit the sport. I certainly... I don't know how you justify like investing in prepping for the next uh, set of technical regs right. when there's just no visible evidence that it'll be better for you. Um, it, even though yeah, I do think it will sting. be better. And, and it must sting them looking at Racing Point, who effectively did the same strategy... That, that Gene Haas was implementing of, of you know, buying an old car, of piggybacking on, so, you know, doing as little of the work in-house as possible and, and getting all this, you know, secondhand parts and, and from other teams. And it, they just bet on the wrong horse, I guess, after after these years. Um, uh, another, you know, as bad as their weekend were, it was probably even more frustrating for Nico Hulkenberg as we get onto the race because before the... Before they even started their formation lap, I think they pushed him back into the garage um, because there was an issue with the car. Um, We were told that they would be starting from the pit lane, uh, and then he never started. Um, Hulkenberg never made his way out of the pits at the start of the race. I have a quote here from uh, Otmar Zafnar explaining what happened. He said, there was basically a drivetrain seizure, the cause of which is still being investigated. It's a shame for the entire team after such a huge effort to get Nico in the car. Um, uh, Hulkenberg said his failure to start the race uh, sort of summed up this terrible unpredictable weekend they were enjoying a quote from him it's a bit crazy isn't it somehow it fits into all these crazy days that i've experienced but obviously kind of disappointing for me and the team obviously they tried everything but there was some sort of power unit issue and we didn't manage to start the car and get out there which is obviously disappointing good news for nico hulkenberg um we will be back in a matter of days and he can have a second swing at uh, at silverstone uh, crazy right i haven't seen that happen in a while just failure to start yeah, like I guess we came really close to seeing it with Verstappen uh, in the, in the previous race. So right. maybe it's one of those things where this happens. Like there are more close calls uh, than than you think there are. But yeah, in terms of like actually failing to get the car into the race, um, I'm not sure how often I've seen that. Uh, certainly in the last ten years, because Verstappen, you're like that's something. Fact, you know. That's not them rocking up on race day and then a problem appearing. That's him putting it in the wall. 
this thing you're it's so disappointing for them to turn up with a complete car after you know three two days of of them working on it um yeah super disappointing uh uh, so we have 19 to start this race. Uh, how many? How are your notes looking, Rob? Uh, you know, you take exhaustive notes on a go, on a good race weekend. How, what do you, What do you got there? Well, I'm gonna hold the, my notebook up to the camera <laughs> and see. This half of the uh, notebook page is qualifying, and okay. this lower half is the entire race. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I there was uh, a good like I had a, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I mean I I hate. For a long time, I was sort of of the philosophy that, you know, there's never, you know, any day of racing is a good day of racing, right? Always happy to have it. Um, That was sorely tested this weekend. I really found myself uh, just mightily bored by this race. I will. This felt to me like it was like a lettuce sandwich. I was here for the bread. The start of the race was interesting. The end of the race was interesting. But the filling in the middle was just like, I, I, it, it, it felt somewhat familiar. I think we've had good Silverson races the past, you know, era. But it, it did feel a bit like those races that I used to watch that made me think, why do I watch F1? <laughs> they were like, there's just not overtaking happening anywhere. Everyone's sort of like not far away. They're in packs, but nothing's really happening. Um yeah, uh, apart and apart from basically accidents and just random catastrophe, <laughs> nothing really happened. Um, even the, all the interesting tire stuff we've enjoyed over the past few races where there was the sort of possibility space of drama, that didn't really happen here either until everyone's tires started exploding. But I guess... Yeah, I mean, that sort of seems to be... Uh, everyone was pretty confident that the uh, tires would just hold up um, and just ran the life off them. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I did kind of feel similarly where, um, maybe there should have been more tire strategy given what we were seeing in the final minutes right. of the race. Yeah. Maybe we actually just missed out, um, on a, on a whole narrative that would have been playing out had we known better. Uh, okay. Let's get into it. I guess I usually do the first lap, so I might as well keep, uh, keep it up. So we're starting just to refresh you with Hamilton, Botas at the front, then Verstappen, Leclerc, uh, Nara Stroll signs Ricardo um, uh, as we get in Vettel's at the back with Ocon uh, so when it started Hamilton everyone got a decent start actually Leclerc got a pretty good start uh, Verstappen almost got uh, nipped by him but um, while we got out of that arena section at the farm Verstappen was ahead Hamilton kept his pole position um, Botas slid in behind him there was a nice little battle between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc when uh, Leclerc failed to get past Verstappen and was sort of like pushed back a little bit um, and then also another wonderful little bit of back and forth with Ricardo in that little mix um, with Sainz and Stroll I guess Norris had a bad start he well a good start but he lost a couple of positions um, in the uh, within the first half of that lap so a nice little battle between Ricardo uh, and Norris um, at Cops there. And then uh, pretty soon, I think it's the the end of the first lap, start of the second lap, um, we see Kevin Magnussen in a, in a puff of uh, smoke or a puff of dust um, 
uh, off the track. What did you make of this incident with him and Alexander uh, Albon? Uh, we must, just to reiterate, at this stage, Kevin Magnussen started in 16th and Albon started in 12th. So why they were even next to each other is just probably a good question too. Yeah, I um, I don't know what I think of it. I think to me... <laughs> to me, it looks like a racing incident. I, I do kind of wonder if um, Albin seems almost magnetically attracted to those deep inside line passes on people at the apex of a turn, hmm. which is a risky play. Uh, and once again here, it didn't really pan out. Like, he makes these dives down the inside... And they're all very close. Like they, and in a lot of cases, it seems like they're well advised. Uh, this one doesn't work out, but it is a little bit complicated by the fact that Magnuson unsettles the car and runs extremely wide uh, through that sort of hairpin that they're coming through. And Albin tried to, uh, you know get alongside him and then take the inside line and Magnuson just kind of comes back onto the racing line and closes the door. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, passing is so hard in F1. Now it's the last, it's the first lap. Um, maybe he didn't need to take that chance, but it seemed like a door that was part ways open. It seemed like a chance worth taking. Uh, if you've been struggling with your car a little bit, um, I don't know where, like, we know what the stewards thought, um, but right. what, did, what did you think? Well, I think it's telling it took them a while to come to their decision on it because, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I felt like I felt like it was a, an audacious attempt. It was a kind of a more aggressive, certainly, than the, you know, the Hamilton overtake attempt at Austria around the outside. It wasn't it wasn't that where he, he was he was somewhat taking a risk on this one. But also, if you're a Red Bull driver and you've qualified that far back, you need to be taking risks on the opening laps, so I can't fault him for it. And Magnussen, you know, he he did adopt the racing line pretty late, and it is tight there. So, like, I, I imagine K-Mag likely didn't know exactly where he was in that situation, where the cars touched and, and it was downhill, and, you know... I don't blame him for shutting the door. So that lands at racing incident for me, where it's like somebody's taking a risk, but it's not overly aggressive risk. And somebody is making a defensive maneuver, but it's not like they're shutting the door. And, you know, it could have easily, you know, perhaps Albon is, is you know, counting his lucky stars that it wasn't like the Hamilton incidents in the past and he wasn't the one that was spun out. He managed to get away from it with, I think essentially no damage, except unfortunately uh, from the stewards. So what did they decide to do, Rob? Yes, yeah, so they gave him a uh, five-second penalty for for the move, uh, and then they later explained uh, their reasoning. And I'm just reading from their from their finding here. The stewards reviewed video evidence and determined that Albin was predominantly at fault for the collision at Turn 18 Club. Passes at turn 18 are unusual and difficult to execute. While Albin appeared to be the faster car, the stewards determined he attempted to pass too late, and the gap on the inside of car 20, Magnuson, was always going to diminish. It appeared that he attempted to back out of the pass at the last second. The stewards took into account that Magnuson had a slower exit from turn 17. 
uh, Albin also said uh, he did he did hesitate as the uh, as the Haas sort of lurched back onto the racing line. Uh, Albin said, "At that point, I realized he doesn't see me, and with the gaps closing very quickly, I tried to get away from it, but at that closing speed, it was just too much." Uh, and I, I watched the in-car from Albin's perspective a couple times. You can see a little bit of hesitation. It's one of those cases where, like, there's maybe a tenth or a couple tenths of a second of, like, him thinking about it before he commits to it. And that is yeah. probably the difference, right? If he just gotten on the power the minute Magnuson sort of slewed wide, he probably could have carried that move off. In some ways, the stewards appear to be making a judgment that, like, Look, if you're hesitating about the move and then you go and do it, that's that's the mistake. But I do find it a little hair splitting, right? Like these yeah. are these are all things that happen um, in a very compressed tri- time frame, and I don't necessarily think what Albin did was like clearly poor form. And I my inclination is. You know, if you don't if you don't have poor form, then you probably let them race a little bit. I would also admit here, Magnuson's a difficult guy to pass too. Um, yeah. You know, like yes, he was coming back on the racing line, but also it's a very Magnuson move to just sort of shove your way back onto it and expect other people to bail out. Uh, so, in terms of the bodies of work of uh, both these drivers, I do think it's kind of a wash. <laughs> but it does feel like Albin is starting to get singled out. Uh, that maybe they've seen, the stewards have seen just a few too many things that are like 50-50, but Albin's always involved in them. And maybe this is a shot across the bows. I don't know. Yeah, which we've, we have seen that in the past, certainly with Verstappen. You know, they're, they're sometimes vocal about the fact that they're you know, singling people out like that, making special considerations. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it helped matters that, that there is so little runoff here. So K-Mag's uh, race was, was done. But I guess, had he lost the wheel before he hit the wall, actually? I'm not sure if he had. No, I think he lost it, uh, like... Well, he certainly lost it on his way across the infield. Uh, right, then. yeah. But yeah, I'm not it sure then. it was the impact that dislodged it. But uh, yeah, the suspension broke... Um, after the with contact. the top, with the top, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, so maybe it wouldn't have made it much of a difference. Um, on to our next, uh, um, um, <laughs> our next incident. Uh, who's at fault this time? Is it Danny Kvyat or the, or the the sleeping policeman? Um, so the the safety car is out for that uh, incident. It takes them a little while to clean it up. Comes in around, I think it's lap twelve. Um. And then the next incident that I have here is lap 13, where I think it's just at the start of Maggots. We see Kvyat uh, in a pretty big heap, missing a wheel, tethers off and all, um, in an odd spot, somewhere we don't really see the, the left side of the, you know, almost the entrance to Maggots and Beckett's. Um, and uh, he immediately comes on a radio and apologizes. So very interested to see what the replay is of this one. Um what was your read on this, Rob? Weird place to spin out and weird, like weird circumstances or how it happened? Yeah. Um, when I first saw it and given his apology, I thought he'd just gotten the wheel up on the curb and put too much power through it and just like, you know, set himself off the track. Uh, 
worth saying here, Brundle never thought so. Brundle never thought the accident made sense. He was like, no, that tire, that tire let go on him. And on replays, it does look like the tire is letting go as it goes over that uh, curb. But it's, it, it was tough for me to tell because um, mm. it, it seems to he seems to get up on that curb and then the car is just like a rocket into uh, <laughs> yeah. into the wall. Snapped. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, so the reasoning why apparently uh, Danny came on the radio to apologize was that he wasn't actually paying attention with his line. Did you read? Did you see this interview after the fact? No. So uh, I have a quote here from uh, Formula One dot com, um, where he says, "I still don't understand what happened. I was changing a lot of switches on the steering wheel and got distracted. The red curb just spun the car around completely. I didn't expect that, but I wasn't looking really on the track at that moment. We were having some issue on the car, and I had to change a lot of parameters on the screen, and it was very, very distracting." Um, I think that interview might have happened just post race or maybe during. I can't remember, but I I remember hearing him um, talking to one of the interviewees um, trackside while the race was still on. I think. Um, so yeah, it sounds like they were having some sort of issue with power, and he was basically doing a lot of uh, work on the wheel. And so when he spun, having maybe gotten a little bit closer to those curbs than he would have liked he sort of assumed that it was because he was texting and driving, I guess. Um, it's rough when you're trying to run a Grand Prix and you got to do some DCS Warthog shit. Uh, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, it's a straight right after those corners. but maybe. I will say this. Like, um, <laughs> like playing the just playing the F1 20, uh, 2020 game, right? <laughs> when I have to go fuck with the MFD and like yeah. chain settings on the car <laughs> and it is a deeply simplified interface right and i'm still like oh god what's going on i can't i can't like gotta change this little gauge over here in the lower corner of my vision <laughs> but like can i do that i can't see uh it's it's rough um yeah i would actually i'm always stuck in the radio i was like shit i'm in the radio section again yep. i need to i'm trying to change my fuel mix yeah uh so mm. i can only imagine like you're in the middle of the race and you're doing the control alt delete like you know <laughs> tap uh tap f1 when you see the bios uh right. yeah it's it's rough yeah i feel for him um it does sound like though the team and uh the the commentators and maybe a lot of people watching as well didn't necessarily blame him just kind of um nasty curb i guess to to get a little bit too close to um that brings out the safety car again, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Our sef- uh, second safety car. Yeah, because Hamilton and Bottas had just went past the pit, so they weren't lucky in terms of pace. Um, but they had to stop to uh, to get tires after going around at a safety car speeds the entire way. Didn't make a difference. Um, no, obviously. Verstappen also uh, came in, so the, well, the top three were the same. Um, I guess it does make a difference. Is this where they go to the hearts? Um, it must do, yeah, because this was a two, this was a, was it a one stop for them? Pit stop summary, I have it here on the F1 website, or is that just going to tell me the amount of stops? Yeah, everyone did a one stop except for Kimi, well, we'll get into why actually later, but yeah, that, it was a one stop effect. Yeah, so actually it does car- change the outcome of this race probably because it moves right. the pit stop window early. pretty early. Yeah. And puts uh, everyone on this will run the hards to the end uh, strategy, which is kind of a tire life window. We haven't seen anyone really try uh, this far in the season. 
Yeah, and Silverstone's a weird one. We talked about it last week how something like, what is it, 60% of the lap is taken full belt? Like, yeah. It's a lot of fast turns, so you're getting a lot of, like, delamination on parts of the tire that perhaps don't get it so bad in, in you know, some Tilka, Tilka drones. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like, it, it feels like um, what degrades the tires very quickly is a lot of, like, your braking sections. Uh, and so that will take the life out of them. But you're right. When you're going through these fast, like, uh, sweeping corners or, like, uh, sort of the S-curves of Maggots and Beckett's, um, that is a different sort of, like, loading that is happening on the tire. And that's probably a very different wear profile uh, than you get from sort of the more point and squirt you're doing at... Um, <laughs> You know, Hungaro Ring, for instance. But yeah, uh, it it did seem, I was kind of surprised that like everyone seemed to be trying to make it uh, to the end on this one stop just because we hadn't seen, I'm if anything, I tend to think like, yeah, if someone's really good on tires, they can probably stretch this all the way out. Uh, but I hadn't seen anybody attempt anything like this uh, this far in the season. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it does end up, this, this becomes a very significant accident. Yeah. Um, we'll get more to that later on. Actually, not too much later on because this is where my notes start to get real light. Uh, lap 19, the safety car comes in. We get a little bit of a battle between Norris trying on signs around. I want to say it was cops again. Um, but uh, Norris goes wide, attempting to do it. Doesn't want to get too close to his teammate and uh, decides to, to let it go past. Um, I effectively have like zero notes for like the next twenty laps or so. Uh, do you, do you have I have just like <laughs> I have a couple entries of Ocon and Stroll at it again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I love who, that. Who did just appear to be Good trapped with each other this entire race? <laughs> um, yeah. What, what could we talk about Stroll for a second? The racing point was just not happy on those tires. Like, I it it seemed like it was out of position in a way that it seemed like. Uh, it 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 had qualified higher than it than it deserved to be during race pace. It was I which we haven't seen this in the previous uh, races. I didn't think. Yeah, I mean, this was um, race day was warmer, correct? Yeah, it had been a pretty cool weekend, and then it was just warmer day day of. Uh, so that ends up changing things a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I um. I don't entirely I would say so far the uh tracing point experiment has <laughs> not really panned out. It's very funny we have this like huge kind of controversy uh in terms of whether that design is legal, but in terms of creating a car that can punch at a decent weight in F1 right now, uh this approach doesn't seem to have borne real fruit. Um, it's, it's been a bit, it's been a bit disappointing. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, the, the next note that I have is around lap 46 where Stroll is actually given, shown a black and white flag. Um, I think that's, is that one of two? We said, did Grosjean get one too? Yeah. Uh, Grosjean got one as well, uh, for, he was a little bit, so Sainz was very vocal on the radio saying that, uh, Grosjean was being dangerous, uh, driving defensively. When I saw that replay, I like I could kind of see it, but it's one of those weird things where um, 
I think there's a fine line, and maybe Grosjean has figured out how to sort of game this. There's a fine <laughs> line between shifting around under braking versus edging over into the racing line and then reacting to what you're seeing in your mirrors, right? Like, it, it seemed like he might actually not be certain exactly where uh, Signs was, and so was, like, kind of a little touchy trying to block him off. Uh, but the result was he didn't make the one move cleanly that you're allowed to make. He sort of drifted over and then, like, shimmied and then drifted back onto the racing line. Signs <laughs> wasn't having it. Um and then I think he got the f- I think he may have gotten the flag for that, uh, but certainly later when Ricardo came up on him, um, he was a little more clearly engaging in blocking behavior. And Ricardo uh, got on the radio and and called it out. He was like, "That was a uh, what was it? I, that was a bit edgy. That was a bit sketchy. Yeah, sketchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know." And I think the stewards agreed. So yeah, once again. Um, Grosjean also got kind of warned off for this for this kind of behavior. Um, yeah, it, working hard to try and get some points for them because obviously he's the only Haas car left on the uh, track at this stage uh, during a, a year where they're not really going to be getting many points. Um, then we're into... This is basically the last five laps of the race, by the way. We're, there's only 52 at Silverstone because of the uh, relatively long length of the track. Um, Raikkonen, who has never come up i don't think in this race prior to this moment for me himself and giovanazzi are kind of just swimming around there um has a problem one of his tires looks like the front uh left uh, end plate came off or bent in a bit and started to erode at one of his tires um so we had a bit of trouble there uh, i wonder though like I wonder, because what we start seeing later, like tires failing in these weird ways, I'm wondering, was the mm. tire already coming down? And Because we know those wings flex. And so I am wondering, like, if the tire maybe lost just a little bit of pressure that moved it into contact with the wing. Uh, I don't know. But it does. It, w- the, the death blow was certainly that that wing uh, broke in and, like, just carved a, you know, groove in the middle of the uh, tire. But, yeah, uh, pretty... Pretty spectacular stuff. Yeah, he ends up being, I think, our first... No, I guess Albon had pitted after the incident because he did have some sort of... I think they wanted to check suspension or something at some stage. So Albon was on a weird strategy where he had pitted early and then pitted later on a set of uh, new tires, which allowed him to actually gobble up a bunch of people. So Albon's kind of on a tear at the moment through the pack from the back. Um, But this ends up being the second two-stop uh that we see um and there's a bunch more to come and all of these uh so basically the only people who pitted more than once were all people who were involved in incidents of some form or another be it crashes or or exploding tires as we're about to enjoy so uh gasly gets past stroll on 49 stroll is kind of um uh his momentum is going the opposite way to pierre's um and probably wants this race to finish as quickly as possible alban at this stage is up into 12th um having been almost at the back of the field with his with his tire uh changes um and then we cut to valtteri botas at like turned three or four um with his left front gone and i swear to god somebody needs to make a supercut of botas having tire failures in the last five laps of races either from contact i'm thinking about that kimi raikkonen crash he had or just bad luck because i feel like this happens to him i don't know it feels like a recurring nightmare or something um delamination on the tire 
Well, and this one had been presaged by um, he had he'd sent a couple radio messages much earlier in the race. That he was getting a weird vibration uh, off the tires, and he was like, "It's not like it's blistering. It's like it's something else, but it's it's a bad vibration." And it was a bad enough vibration that at one point he was saying visibility was getting impaired, presumably wow. being like the vibration was like jostling him hard enough that he was having a hard time like stable like he just couldn't stabilize the image you couldn't really see what he was doing um and he just rode that out and i do kind of i remember at the time this was like like lap 41 or 42 um he didn't have a free pit stop ahead of her stopping like he had about 10 seconds but he would have yeah. yielded the position but I did find myself wondering around that time with the pace advantage of the Mercedes um, and the time he was beating the shed uh, because of the tire issues. I did kind of wonder, like around lap 41, 42, he had that free set of mediums uh, that I yeah. don't think he he dipped into. It seemed like he could have safely come in for mediums and you assume that he can retake uh the position uh you know under racing now that's a big assumption given how valtteri is stacked up against like max when he sort of yields a lead like yeah. and to be fair like we've talked a lot about track position being king uh in f1 like this wouldn't have been maybe a prudent move to undertake but certainly it was on my mind before the worst happened right like it started to feel around that time that he was suffering from some tire issues and like, why not? Like if he's already suffering from them at that point, do you really want Verstappen to only be like eight seconds back when Valtteri hits the cliff? Uh, so I think for me, one of the what ifs is like, what if he hadn't underplayed whatever weirdness <laughs> he was getting from the front end of his car right. and they brought him in and just said like, Hey, you know, all right, we're bringing you in, but you got to go get this done on track now. Yeah, it's tough. It's such a tough one. I feel like certainly hindsight was not in short supply uh, in the last few laps of this race. We'll we'll have more to talk about, but I'm with you. It's it's a tough one because, like, despite all the DRS zones, it's still tough to overtake on the straights here. Um, for Stappen, his car gets very wide on those last laps. Like we only saw it in the previous race, how good he is at holding onto positions late. Um, uh later on um but yeah you're totally right it just it, it felt like it felt like everyone was just kind of crossing their fingers rather eventless sort of 20 laps maybe that comes into it there's sort of like uh you know we're not making a gap on him uh, on verstappen let's kind of just ride it out you know and in any other you know we're talking we're down to the last three laps here so there's another universe where you know, a safety car happened in those incidents, a, a VSC, uh, you know, anything kind of happens to, to take the pressure off, but it doesn't. And suddenly, in the space of basically a lap and a half, we have three incidents. <laughs> Valtteri being the first, or perhaps four, you're right, if Kimi ended up actually being uh, pooling in there as well. Um. So what happens next is a, an interesting conversation to have around strategy. So... Botas is basically overtaken by Verstappen almost immediately. He wasn't too far behind him. Um, as they get into the first DRS zone, Verstappen's well ahead. Um, uh, at that stage, Max decides, or rather whoever decides to bring Max in, that 
you know, he has a pit stop on Votas. He's miles ahead of him. I think he's 30 plus seconds ahead of Charles Leclerc at this stage. So he's got bunches of time. We're a little bit worried about the tire stuff maybe happening to us as well. Fast lap is worth a point. I forgot about that. Good point. Let's get that fastest lap. He's a big fan of that. You know, we'll turn this third position into a bounty of points that we didn't think we were going to get. Let's not be greedy. We're not going to catch Hamilton. Fair enough. There's a world in which perhaps this happens to Hamilton as well. But really, what are the odds? There's a lap and a half left. I get it. Let's bring him in. (laughs) I guess we had like not used enough of the drama pot for the previous 30 laps that it all just kind of spilled out at the end. Because before anything, we see um, uh, Alexander Albon, by the way, is making a terror. In the past couple of laps, he's made three places. He's up into ninth now, so he's actually getting points. But then we cut to Carlos Sainz, who no one was thinking of. Actually, I think before this, we cut to Botas with his tire and the graphic for Hamilton came up <laughs> and Crofty yeah. got confused and thought of Hamilton. Yeah, so we, we climbed down from that one. Uh, and then, yeah, Carlos Sainz, same thing. Tire, boom, front left, delaminated. Uh-oh. Starting to remind us of 2012, I think it was, when this happened the last time. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then, but we're seconds away from enjoying that drama when we cut to Hamilton and this time his tire has gone on turn nine i believe it was so before they're i think just around cops before they're entering maggots and beckets on the final lap this is his final lap of the race he's got half a lap left he is 34 seconds on max verstappen and his tire goes um take us through it rob what did you what did you make of that uh it was gonna be a close run thing um he was in a bad position. I was looking on the track map. He had this huge lead over Max, but like the thing about a busted tire is like, it just keeps getting worse, right? As the rubber works itself off the tire, uh, as you're doing damage to the suspension, like it starts, you're, you're sort of a wounded car by the end of that thing. It's like, you're, you don't have one of your wheels. Uh, and so it was going to be kind of one of those things. It was going to be a race between like, Hamilton's ability to sort of conserve whatever is left of tire functionality on that wheel <laughs> uh, and dealing with like the degrading performance while Max is sort of coming in hot from behind. Um, but it was clear, uh, you know, in the last, you know, sector basically that. Lewis had just enough of a lead that even sort of dragging one broken leg behind him, uh, you know, down the down the straight, uh, he was he was going to put this thing away, and uh, you know he, he he takes the checkered flag just as Max is coming up behind him, uh, basically. Uh, meanwhile, you know, you got Valtteri desperately trying to get a point back, uh, you know, yeah. but, it, you know, he is trapped behind uh, Vettel and is desperately trying to weave around and, and get past him. Can't can't do it. Uh, yeah. Um, and immediately, apparently, like Helmut Marco was seen like rushing to the Red Bull pit wall uh, to sort of apparently ask, like, hey, did we just throw away a win? Like, why did you stop? Yeah. Verstappen. Uh, now, since this happened, I want to say that the Red Bull team said that there was significant tire damage uh, to Max's front. And so from their standpoint, like it was just prudence. I don't know how much of this is, sa- this, this is face saving, right? Like a lot of times 
front tires by the end of a Grand Prix look like they've been through a war. Uh, mm. So maybe this is them hemming and hawing a little bit and saying, like, look, uh, you know, that was a pretty banged up tire. We were just playing it safe. Um, I don't know. But I, I do think this was a case where I probably would have erred on the side of caution here as well. Uh, you got one team, you got one car not in great position. You know, the fates have handed you second place. Right. Um, <laughs> don't <and> be greedy. <laughs> certainly, I thought it started to look like a very good decision when Sainz's wheel went. Uh, because yeah. at that point, it seemed like something was going on with the Pirellis. Uh, and just the strain they've been under. And so regardless of race strategy, you know, if you've been on that hard for a while, it seemed like a very good moment to get off of it. Um, so, like, I do think for a lot of reasons it was probably one of those things where it was a risk not worth taking um, because it seemed so improbable that Hamilton would have the same problem, uh, like, right there and then. Yeah, totally. especially with like so little left in the race, like half a lap, um, 28 seconds by my count made up by Max Verstappen on Lewis Hamilton in the final half of that one lap. Um, he was 5.8 seconds behind him when he crossed the line. And yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think I think my inclination is to is to throw my hands up and say, what were they thinking? I remember when they brought him into the pits, I was shocked because in my head I was thinking, oh, well, what if Hamilton has the same problem there? They pitted at identical times um uh, him and they double stacked the, the pit when they did it on what was a lap 13 or something right so like it was pretty uh you know obvious or not obvious but it was a decent chance that it was going to happen but then i remembered well max also pitted on lap 13 and who do i think is better at tire management entities three lewis hamilton like that's kind of what he's really good at so um yeah i i i think it's just kind of like a bit unfortunate for every like no one had good luck, uh, you know, at this race. Hamilton perhaps maybe had some good luck, but he also had some bad luck. It was very funny, uh, Lewis, in the post-race interview talking about he wasn't really worried about his tire because, like, Valtteri hadn't been taking care of his tire. So Lewis wasn't surprised when it blew. But, like, Lewis was pretty kind of feel, feeling pretty good about his own performance on the tire and, like, thought he was in the clear uh, and was sort of surprised it blew up. <laughs> and that was an uncharacteristic bit of shade uh, from Hamilton to <laughs> Valtteri. Um, but at the same time, like, Botas did stay pretty close to Hamilton. Like, he was consistently running in the airstream of Hamilton. And generally, that's not what you want to do if you're conserving the tire, right? Like, if he had right. a little bit of a gap to Verstappen and he wasn't going to get to a safe distance, uh, maybe drop a few seconds back so you're not in Hamilton's wash uh, for so much of the race. Um, So that was how it ended. Um, Before we get to the standings, I do, I do want to mention that Something very similar to this happened with the Pirellis in 2013. It, it came up uh, maybe a year or two ago. I remember talking about it because um, it was before Drew was watching. I think it was maybe a season or two before we started this podcast. Um, do you remember this at all? There was one year at Silverstone where the basically, I think it was both Mercedes tires just completely ex yeah. they exploded effectively. There was like a curb somewhere that was causing a problem. Yeah, so it was a little bit different. It wasn't where, it was just some sort of, pressure problem but seven cars sorry six cars had blowouts during the race um alonso had a really bad one on a turn 
which uh, he was lucky to walk away from. Um, Massa had one, Jean-Eric Verne had one, um, and it was a bit of an inquiry before they headed to, I think it was Germany after that. So it's not the first time that there has been an incident at Silverstone, which then suddenly got worse. Um, obviously, it's a different uh, period of the race, different tire, I think, as well. I don't think it was the hards. Um, but it was just interesting to sort of see this happen. There is something about that track, that the speed or the heat and the speed or the pace that just has the capacity to cause that type of problem, which we don't... I, I can't think of another circuit in recent years where we've had a specific problem across the teams with a tire. Um, but we certainly saw it this time. Um, should we run through the, the race results? Yeah. Uh, Lewis Hamilton wins the race uh, 5.856 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen, uh, who had a healthy lead over Charles Leclerc, who I swear to God, if Ferrari thought they were going to get a podium, can you imagine <laughs> going into this weekend? Uh, pretty happy there. Um, uh, then we had Ricardo in fourth, tremendous uh, effort from Daniel um uh he qualified at eighth but you kind of would have said that they were maybe you know probably qualified a little bit higher than they're expecting on that one um himself and Ocon uh decent stop uh or, or race pace for him same with Norris who ended up uh landing fifth after a lot of battling between himself his teammate and and Ricardo um Ocon in sixth as well more great news for them Pierre Gasly what a weekend Lands seventh position. Um, he uh, a couple of interviews with him after the race. Uh, very very happy. He was uh, the best. Out of, he was the best loser out of Q two. Um, we managed to get up there into the points. Alexander Album clawing back uh, a disastrous uh, weekend really to grab some points in a position with a, a really good drive on his last set of tires. Uh, Lance uh, Stroll in ninth position. The racing point never really settled in for race pace uh sebastian vettel ending in 10th uh, the last one to get points um he started in 10th he ended in 10th um not much going on there valtteri botas like rob said was just a little bit behind him trying to um uh, get past and get some uh, points but unfortunately wasn't able to georgie russell in 12th position almost getting points himself carlos Sainz in 13th after a forced pit stop due to his tire exploding on the penultimate lap. Antonio Giovinazzi in 14th, decent drive. Nicholas Latifi in 15th. Uh, Grosjean rounding out the terrible weekend for Haas. He's the second to last finisher in 16th. Kimi Raikkonen was a lap down in 17th. Barely saw him all race. Um, the, the problem with his wing and his tire didn't help at the end. And then we had DNFs for Kvyat, Magnussen, and a DNS for Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> I haven't seen a DNS in a long while. Uh, did not start, um, unfortunately. So no classifications for them. Um, shall we... I guess his driver's standing next. for the. I, I love doing these. These are fun. It's just like reading out your homework or something. Uh, the driver's standings, I'll make sure to say we're on 2020 because it put me back on 2019 again. Hamilton, of course, ahead with 88 points. Botas in seconds with 58. Verstappen right behind him now, 52 points. Um, Lando Norris, fourth position for the season right now uh, with 36 points ahead of Charlotte Claire with 33 in fifth. Alex Albon in sixth. 
which is pretty good considering how much of a rough season he's had so far with 26 points. Sergio Perez clinging on to 7th position for dear life while he's not going to be around for a while uh, with 22 points. His teammate Lance Stroll one race up but two points down in 8th. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo 6, or sorry, 20 points as well. He's uh, tied with Stroll. He's in ninth position. Carlos Sainz in 10th with 15. Ocon in 11th with 12. He is uh, matched with Gasly, who's in 12th position with those 12 points. Sebastian Vettel in 13th position. Unlucky for some, 10 points to his name. And then we have a cliff where Antonio Giovinazzi sits on top of, or at the bottom of, with two points at 14th. Danny Kvyat, 1.15th. Kevin Magnussen, has a single point for Haas in 16th. Nicholas Satifi, Kimi Raikkonen, George Russell, and Roman Grosjean are pointless. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like that. And then in the constructors, we have Mercedes uh, with a bit of a, uh, a gap already, 146 points. Behind them is Red Bull Racing Honda with 78. McLaren Reddo with 51 uh, the Tafosi won't be happy with Ferrari in fourth with 43 points, a single point ahead of the pink Mercedes tracing point. BWT Mercedes with 42. Renault had a decent week. They'll be happy. They're back up into sixth with 32 points. Alpha Tori, uh, the most irritatingly named team on the um, circuit this year, which is saying something with 13. Alfa Romeo with two, Haas with one, and Williams with zero, but I. I if, I if I was putting money on it, I'd say we're going to get some George Russell points in the in the bag. All we need is a couple more cars to go out in a race, and he'll uh, he'll get up in there. Um, and that's your standings for now. But of course, we have another race coming up in just a few days. Before we get onto that and some emails, though, let's check in on the news. The first bit of news I want to hear from Rob Zachney is how windy is it outside? Uh, so. From my view, I can't actually see the tops of the trees, so like it still looks pretty normal. The clouds are moving pretty fast, okay. uh, but it's not it's not as dramatic uh, as as you might think just yet. Um, Got to be careful; you could be in the eye of the twister. That, I know that, that could from the be. movie. Yeah. Um, so as far as news, the don't have a ton, we don't have a ton this week. Yeah. Uh, so this racing point controversy is. Now more people are sort of ju- uh, jumping in. Ferrari sent a list of questions, I gather, uh, to the FIA about uh, the legality of the racing point. Uh, and mm. they, basically, they're doing the thing where when teams want to complain, but they don't just want to like call out another team, they ask for rules clarifications. Uh, right? This is this is how the fuel flow thing got uncovered last year with Ferrari. Exactly. Where it was like, hey... um. If you know, I think it was Red Bull asking, like, hey, under the rules, would this kind of fuel flow uh, technique be legal? And when the answer was no, Ferrari sort of mysteriously had to, uh, you know, drop its performance, right? Uh, and that's why everyone's convinced that they were sort of skirting the edge of the regs. Uh, so Ferrari informed the press that they sent a question to Formula One, the FIA, asking, uh, in light of the requirement that there are all these parts that have to be designed by the teams, they asked the F1 and uh, the FIA how Racing Point can be considered to have designed the parts in question when Racing Point has admitted they modeled all of those on the Mercedes. Right. McLaren kind of co-signed this um, and 
uh, Zach Brown said, we're very interested in the outcome of the Renault protest, because uh, that's who has started all this. Renault is the one who's protesting every single race, uh, the, the racing point. We're very interested in the outcome of the Renault protest, and like Ferrari, seeking clarification on whether the FIA deems it legal. I think moving forward, it definitely shouldn't be, but we need to address, we need to address it if this is deemed to be illegal and works a loophole, uh, then, like Formula One has done in the past, you need to close the loopholes if you have missed something. Uh, boy, that's clearly one of those like not that's that's an interview quote, right? Where it's a little bit confusing when you read <laughs> it out loud. Uh, but yeah, so McLaren and Ferrari now are sort of basically saying, at the very least, make sure that nobody can do this again uh, in the future. Right. Exactly. Um, which I think, in the in light of the fact that. A lot of these teams have sort of uh, come to Jesus, as it were, on the cost controls uh, questions. I could see them being a little more fussy about, like, okay, if we're all going to be competing on this slightly more level playing field, then we can't just have a team running a knockoff of a more successful team's car. But the weird part of this for me is the stakes just seem so low. The approach doesn't seem to have worked. Like, on qualifying days, maybe, the uh, racing point has looked okay. But, yeah, it just um, it doesn't feel like racing point has really, like, jumped forward uh, too much. Though, I guess, maybe from the vantage of the midfield teams they were surrounded by last year, they have. What Right? Like, racing point is now fighting right. Red Bulls, fighting Ferraris. Um, yeah. And they're no longer fighting... Uh, teams that were in a similar boat but are just kind of falling into oblivion now. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's weird. There's also the uh, strange... There's the strange confusion about the fact that uh, the FIA has denied they approved this uh, before the season started. Uh, they admit that what Racing Point has said is true, that they did inspect their facilities and like look at their plans... But they denied specifically signing off on this approach to car design. But then uh, I want to say uh, the head of single seat racing at the FIA, uh, Nick Tambazis, I want to say, uh, like literally this week was also basically saying like this this was fine. And in fact, they, they had signed off on it. So it's very weird. Mm. Uh, this This entire dispute is really clearly like leaving the realm of uh principle and it is just it is now a negotiation between these teams uh in a court of law so we'll uh we'll or a court of sporting law so we'll see how it goes um sport law is the most important law rob it it does seem like it's funny how these these things pop up and you kind of think man you, you think they'd have you know the regulations would be pretty watertight on stuff like this but I guess that's the beauty of the sport in many ways is that these things happen because there are those, you know, those leaks in in the documents. Like the reason why this happens is because they think they can get away with it, you know. Yeah, um, I think it is a weird thing too because I think the teams are so secretive because they're like afraid people will understand their techniques by right. taking pictures and such. So that's why yeah. for a long time they're really aggressive about moving things back undercover. Uh, yeah. when they can. It's why the teams are really aggressive about like paying have, photographers. 
have you watched the new youtube show on f1's channel where they have this guy who basically just does like breakdowns technical breakdowns on the weekends they're absolutely fantastic he's like a he's clearly like an engineer um and it's all like here's this one shot of a front wing end plate from p2 and look how it's different from the last one and it's but it's on f1's channel it's really good um you should check it out. And also, if anyone's looking for some decent races, the F2 and F3 races this weekend were really fun. Um, I ended up watching a shed load of races. Uh, the, quad, the the practices are on the YouTube channel, and then they have extended practices and the full races on F1 TV. So, um, yeah, if you want some more racing action, they were uh, genuinely really good. A lot of great races in F3 and F2. F3 is a lot of fun at Silverstone because it's such a wide and long track that you kind of need those extra cars. <laughs> and when they're stock as well, it, it just creates a bit more... Uh, a bit more uh, racing action uh, in, in and amongst each other, which is fun. Um, do we have another story here? Uh, just the end racism campaign is getting increasingly we've ended it. off it's, the rails. It's done. We've finished it. I thought we've ended it already, Rob. Uh, that's certainly Half a school of thought. Job done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of seems like you have Hamilton, Ricardo, and Vettel who are still really committed to, like, Listen, we need to do the ceremony before all the races and, uh, you know, keep centering this cause. And then there's a lot of other folks who seem kind of ready for this to end. And at the very least, uh, they certainly are done with being asked whether or not they're going to kneel or not. Uh, Verstappen has, uh, you know, pretty clearly said he's not going to kneel. He's not going to change his mind. Uh, everybody has their own way of expressing it, but I think at the end of the day, we're all united in fighting racism. Uh, but it, yeah, so before the Silverstone race, uh, we now had seven people standing. Uh, Magnuson now chose to stand, uh, and no, and the same guys are kneeling, uh, minus, minus Magnuson. Um, and <laughs> was he just like, did he give it a cramp or? Like what? Yeah, that seems like like that's just like that seems like you're making trouble for yourself, mate. <laughs> you just like keep fucking kneeling, like. Yeah, and Hamilton said, uh, you know, he, in regards to the reasons people have cited for uh, not kneeling, reservations about how we perceived in home countries, etc. Uh, Hamilton said, I'm not going to tell you what my opinion on whether or not everyone needs to or not, but if you look at all the other sports, look at basketball, you look at football and Spanish teams, Italian yeah. teams, teams all over the world, no matter what nationality or mixture they are, they're all doing United. You've got players from Russia. You've got players from Spain. Uh, so the question yeah. being, why is F1 uh, fucking this up? And I do kind of agree. I think the home countries thing is kind of disingenuous crap. Totally. Yeah. Um, I've been watching Premier League football for the past few months. And it, like practically every country in the world is is there. Maybe it's a numbers thing. Maybe it's just safety in numbers. It's like that, that sociological experiment. You know what I mean? Like if there's 22 people on a football field, including all the stewards, maybe somebody who's a little bit worried is going to be less worried and maybe they feel like they have more of a target on their back if there's only 20 of them. Well, I guess the same, man. I don't know. I'm now making excuses for people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um, how many it footballers is it's, are It's crazy how messy rich. it's gotten. Not like many fo- from before like Soccer players? Yeah, like... Oh, like no, how many no, come you're from right. Money? No, you're right. Like that's, I think that's where a lot of this comes from. That's why I think like Char- the personal politics of people like a Charlotte Claire is going to be very different to, you know, soccer is still a largely, um, I don't want to say 
class agnostic, but it's definitely, I think you tend to get a lot of people from a lot of different striations in class globally into it because they get kids in really quick. It's not like America where you need to have, you know, even college football or a squad, you know, scholarship, or it's probably more like hockey, like ice hockey, you know, when they kind of go in early or baseball, maybe, I don't know, yeah. where like you're kind of picked early as a kid and you're on that, you know, and you don't, all you need to play is a, you know, what was a Pele used to play with a fucking bunch of plastic bags or something, right? Like it's, it, the, the entry point's pretty low. So yeah, like globally, you know, there are rich soccer players who came from wealthy families. Sure. But you tend to get a lot of, a lot of working class people. Yeah. Whereas formula one is very much like a, very rich person sport, both in terms of the drivers and then a lot of people involved in running the teams and certainly backing right. the teams. Like, and even if you're someone like Ocon, you know, then your parents are basically sacrificing every piece of asset capital they have to make right. it happen. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's even even then. But I, but I do think like I think to a degree, in some ways. Um, this is turning into a bit of an embarrassment for the sport, uh, but totally. at the same time, I think that it's been kind of canny. Like ha- Hamilton, uh, you know, was kind of pushing to continue doing this, um, doing the ceremony, and I think the thing a lot of people would have loved to do was for the ceremony to just go away, uh, yeah. and then everyone stops talking about who stood, who kneeled, etc. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, why you like, do it, right? Pardon? That's why you do it. Yeah. That's why you do it, and that's why they should ask Master Verstappen every single week why he's not kneeling. Oh, like, like oh, next that's... year, like, hey, why is Ferrari's lineup anti Black Lives Matter? Because at this point, clearly is. Uh, Leclerc right. sort of flirted with like, gee, I wasn't sure that uh, you know my voice should be part of this, but you know I've been learning a lot, uh, and now they're both you know pretty clearly washing their hands of this. Uh, so yeah, I, I is Vettel do though. Think, Vettel's still no. Vettel's been pretty committed. Like uh, Hamilton yeah, yeah, has yeah. shouted him out as like being one of the few guys, like him and Ricardo. Oh, sorry, like, you're saying signs. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, signs. Okay, yeah, yeah. Next year's cars. Uh, Got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, like Ferrari's going to have two drivers who pretty conspicuously uh, just took a pass on this entire thing, and uh, you know the argument right. of. Yeah they are part of a more activist generation maybe but like so far between max and leclerc it doesn't look great um for for how this is coming together so i think um i think it's good this conversation is kind of being forced on on these dudes um and i do think it's a i think it's a bad look for uh these guys a bad look for the sport uh for them to continue you know clearly uh, protesting the protest in a way. It's uh, there was an interesting interview with Hamilton. I forget which it was pre weekend. I forget what show or or format it was. Um, where they were asking about you know retirement and you know somebody's driver's getting a bit old. Next couple of seasons gonna be messy. They've all had time off. It keeps coming up. Um, and one of the things I I don't have the quote, so I don't want to misrepresent what he said, but. One of the things he said was effectively along the lines of, you know, whenever I leave, I want to make sure that like there's somebody like me here. And I think what he was from what I read from that was very much a I don't want to be like the only black driver championship champion or like 
current driver in F1. Like, I don't want to come and go and that be it. Um, so, and it's, I, I can only imagine that if you are the only black person in a sport or in a group or in a company or whatever, that's that's something that's constantly on your mind. But for him to also, with the Black Lives Matter stuff and these, uh, um, what do we call these? Uh, they're not pro, the, the, the showing that they're doing at the start of each race, that that must be even more on the tip of his mind as, as like, you know, like I wonder if he thinks if I wasn't here, would we even still be doing this every week? Like, is, yeah. are they literally doing this? And the answer I'm, is no, right? Like no, this is a yeah, case like, where he, yeah. he put this on the agenda. Um, totally. Yeah. So yeah, it's I'm with you though. It is regardless of whatever your personal politics are around this, this whole thing has been so messy and just, you know, half put together and, and we're still talking about it because they're, they're still... They're still sort of falling flat on it, so we'll see if uh, see if they do any better next week, eh? Yeah, uh, may, any may, more news? Maybe everyone will see the light. Maybe we'll end racism next uh, Sunday, Rob. Maybe finally. Just, just get around to it one of these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's on the list. Um, do you want to talk about Sergio Perez going back to Mexico to bury his money? Or? <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, just like there's... Uh, I think Dieter Rankin, uh, I want to say it's Dieter Rankin, just wrote a piece uh, suggesting that one of the reasons Perez went back to Mexico, which is in the middle of a really horrific COVID outbreak, right. um, one of the reasons he might have done that is because right now he's trying to see if uh, he can maybe get more backing from uh, Carlos Slim, uh, who's his sponsor. And maybe that could real sort of change shady. his outlook. Yeah, well, it did because he wasn't racing this weekend because he got COVID nineteen because he probably because he was at at home and on airplanes and meeting people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I wonder if we'll hear from him. Uh, he's not going to be around for the next while anyway. Um. Okay, let's move on to, I guess, this weekend's race before we get to emails. Uh, Just quickly to check in on our weather for the weekend that's coming. On Friday, we are expecting hot, hot heat, uh, 86 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which is 32 local. I will say 32 Celsius is a hot day in England. That That ain't... That ain't cold. Uh, Qualification is going to be slightly cooler, thankfully. Uh, 79 degrees at peak. Uh, it's about 25, 26 degrees in uh, Celsius. And then, let me tell you, folks, we might have some overnight rain um, on race day. There's a 33% chance of rain between the hours of about 3 a.m. and 8 a.m. Then it tapers off um, and it rises again in the evening. So it looks like it's going to be a little bit of an overcasty day. Uh, cooler temperatures, 74 degrees. That's 23 Fahrenheit, or Celsius, rather. Um, uh, decent amount of wind as well, 24 kilometers an hour, uh, and pretty humid. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a bit of a muggy hot day on Sunday, so different track temperatures. There may not be direct sunlight as well, which may cool it off a bit, um, but also there might be a little bit of a splishy-sploshy um, earlier that morning so um we'll have to wait and see it's uh, entering a bit of a wet phase over the next few days so that all could come in a little bit earlier we're still a ways out it's tuesday the fourth here so we'll have to wait and see um what does the rest of the calendar look like i'm trying to see because now i'm looking at i'm thinking about sergio perez and how many races he's going to miss like I think he's only gonna miss one i think he's only gonna miss one 
This one, okay, which is the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, by the way. It is not the British Grand Prix. Um, and then we are off to... Man, we got three in a row here, huh? We're off to Spain on the 16th. Yeah, that one looks like it's going to hold up despite the uh, COVID outbreak getting worse there again. Right. Um, it's starting to feel like this is all getting dicey again. Uh, yeah. Because certainly in the U.S., uh, the IndyCar season uh, appears to be in jeopardy again. Uh, they announced today that they're not going to have spectators at Indy because uh, Indiana, uh, my home state, is now also in the midst of a pretty bad oh, outbreak. Really? So, yeah. Uh, so it's... You know, one of the it's a situation that um, I think across the U.S. there's a lot of optimism about like being able to slowly ramp up, but the nature of COVID is just you're always two weeks in the past or two weeks behind with the disease. Totally. Uh, and now we've had about a month or so of racing, and uh, what do you know? Um, all these places that have opened up are starting to see some uh, really bad re- bad results. So uh, it's less bad in Europe, um, but everywhere it does appear to be suffering from some kind of rebound um, yeah. in the infection rate. Uh, it looks like Spain is going to go off, uh, but the notion that we'd have spectators. Um, I want to say there's one. I think Portugal is still slated for spectators. Um, if, if oh, I'm, really? Yeah. I'm not sure about anywhere else, though. There's not much else going on in the Algarve this time of year. Usually it's tourist central for half of uh, Western Europe, but obviously not much of that going on at the moment. Um, yeah, it's wild. Um, the UK as well recently, uh, I think, uh, forced people from Spain now to go into quarantine. But uh, like we've said before, F1 has sort of special um, uh rules i guess dispensations around this sort of stuff so they have a bit more freedom of movement than the average punter um let's move on let's get some emails done so we can uh you can yeah. go into your um hurricane bunker before uh the worst of it comes uh shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails if you would like to send us emails thank you so much we got loads of emails this week i'm gonna hold on to them so we can chat to drew about them um next week and we've got a bit more breathing space this first one comes in from gracie got a couple of fast ones here um uh where they say in the podium it looked like hamilton received two trophies so mercedes received three in total the constructors plus hamilton's two why was it ceremonial because he has won so many races i love that that's like a video game where like you you've won so many things you get a random achievement <laughs> because uh because uh, you've got a uh, you've, you've accumulated so many uh, no and, and for those who don't know there is a special trophy at silverstone from the royal automobile club in the uk which is also given out um at the british grand prix because it is seen as a sort of a prestigious race it's the only one this happens in some racing disciplines but it's the only one in f1 um where they have a special uh trophy so that's why if you win silverstone you can also get the Royal Automobile Club trophy as well, which is the weirder looking one. Um, so that's why he had to walk away with uh, three uh, trophies, or rather Mercedes did. Um, Rob, do you mind yeah. taking this one? Uh, this one comes from Jake. Did anyone else notice that AWS showed Hamilton as having 10% life in his front left well after the tread had separated from the sidewall? Because we now know that the rim is worth 10%. <laughs> Uh, did you oh, see this i did not in? i did not that is grim <laughs> yeah the the shot i think if i remember my mind's eye the shot was him the aws popped up as he was driving into the pits <laughs> so 10 percent. i'm always really funny it was at 10 percent on the front left and the other three were like 
84 or something like they 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 were green and there was red on the so i'm glad amazon was here to tell us that his tires were shot we couldn't tell for ourselves um uh yeah wait was that when he was coming to the pits i guess i wonder was who was coming to the pits because it wasn't after the race oh maybe it wasn't him coming to the pits maybe it was when someone else was coming in they showed it oh yeah they probably showed botas coming in but they had the graphic for right, Hamilton. maybe yeah. that's what i saw all right um uh, and then the last one here, a little email from Farage that I wanted to take a moment uh, to to read out. Um, uh, it's a tribute to his friend. Uh, Farage says, Hello, Shift F1 team. Really enjoy your podcast. Just wanted to share something that happened around the time of the British Grand Prix. Um, I wouldn't have gotten into F1 if it wasn't for one of my closest friends, uh, Naeem Ali. He was 20 years older than me, but uh, it was like looking into a mirror of where I was going to end up in 20 years. He was all so into F1 that he bought us tickets to go watch the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin for 2014, 2015, 2016, and lastly in 2019. Sadly, he passed away very suddenly, and uh, I've been on tears on and off ever since I've heard about it. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't uh, be where I am in life, not to mention he was so generous that he would give me an ultra-wide monitor, a Logitech G29, I know that wheel very well, and an Oculus Rift, and basically introduced me to more hardcore versions of racing sims. After watching the highlights of the British Grand Prix, and I knew Naeem would really have loved that race, even though he always told me he hated Hamilton because he was always winning. <laughs> uh, the sport of F1 will now and forever have a special place in my heart because of him, and I wouldn't have found this podcast if it wasn't for that. So, yeah, I wanted to read that out for Farage and uh, extend our condolences to Naeem's family and friends. Uh, I think all of us have uh, somebody who we kind of credit as the person you kind of need like somebody to open the door for F1, right? And, and yeah. like ha- help you step through. It doesn't, it doesn't come too naturally to, to many children. I feel like, um, was there a person who got you in? It's probably your dad. Was oh it? yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. It was, like he was a big indie car guy. And then, uh, as Indy started to suck, uh, sorry, you know, the cart, uh, IRL split, <laughs> but yeah, uh, as we got an F1 and, uh, it was great. We would watch that every weekend, uh, together, every happy memory. So I, awesome. I know how emotional F1 can be, uh, and the way it's bound up in relationships. Yeah. I'm very fortunate. I had, um, my sister got me in and, and then a good friend, I was thinking a few days ago, actually a good friend of mine, Joe Barron, um, who sort of reignited my uh, love of F1 when he came to stay with me in London years and years ago and got me back into the games. And he actually reviewed them for GameSpot a few times before I started reviewing F1 games over there. Um, and he's largely responsible for me getting back into F1 again about 10 years ago or whatever. Six, yeah, it must be 10 years ago. Um, yeah, so we all have that person. So, you know, especially in these days where we're all... Uh, alone it's nice to take a moment to remember the person who got you into f1 and of course for farage and naim ali's uh, friends and family uh we extend our deepest condolences um hope you're all doing out there please reach out uh, any way you can shift f1 podcast on twitter if you want to keep up to date on uh what's going on over this way apologies for the rather slapdash podcast this week i think we we got enough blood out of that particular stone but don't worry we have a do-over coming up in a few days time with the uh um, the second shot at Silverstone coming up this weekend. Uh, we hope you enjoy it wherever you are. Uh, Rob, anything to say before we say farewell to the good people of Shift F1 listenership? Better luck this week. Let's hope for it. <laughs> Let's hope for a boring start, a boring end, and an action-packed center filling. How about that? Man, I, I love it. Just the uh, the Twinkie of, uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> of Formula One racing. <laughs> 
<laughs> Perfect. Rip off the wrapper and stick it in your mouth, folks. We'll see you next week. Hopefully it also with Drew and hopefully Rob's house won't be blown away into the Atlantic. Stay tuned to find out. See you then. Meow. <laughs>